I'm Eileen Fisher, mother of two, passionate about using business for good, and co-CEO and chairwoman of clothing company Eileen Fisher. For me, it's where, where should I be now, what matters most, what meetings to be in, to do this or not, yes or no, here or there. Just stop for a minute and just breathe and trying to focus on what matters rather than the distractions of the moment. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Fashion icon Eileen Fisher is the founder of her own women's clothing brand. Like her designs, through simplicity and sustainability, she's managed to create a timeless fashion empire. So Eileen, your mom suffered from mental illness. Would you tell us about that? Let's see. For some reason, because I was coming here, I was thinking about some of the good things about my mother. So maybe I'll start there. So my mother, um, uh, I was telling this story, uh, you know, she had a lot of difficulty. And I actually think she... She was very dependent on my dad. My dad made the money, and she raised the seven children. And uh, she pretty much went crazy doing that. Um, But she did instill a few things in us, and one was that we should be independent financially. So from the time we were young, there were six girls and one boy. She... um, she was our agent. She set us up with babysitting jobs and, you know, you go here today, you're, you're over at the McCabe's and you're over there and, you know, that kind of thing. And as we got a little older, she got us um, waitress jobs at the local diner and would help us count our quarters. So my theory is that my mother actually um, struggled with mental illness because she lacked uh, agency over her own life you know, that ability to actually make choices, and that she wanted that so much for us. Fascinating. Um, You said growing up, you felt it was safer to feel invisible or to be invisible. (laughs) How come? Um, uh, I think, um, I think, well, I went to Catholic school, and getting it wrong seemed like you were up for too much ridicule. So it was easier to just be quiet and hide rather than take a risk and maybe get the wrong answer and have everybody laugh at you or the teacher get mad at you. Um, so I remember being yelled at when I was really young and in grade school. And so it just kind of shut part of the shutdown, I think. I have similar memories. Oh, you do. <laughs> oh, God, it's so sad. You spend your life trying to unwind from some of the damage. For sure. How do you think you do that? Oh, oh my goodness. Well, um, I've been in therapy for, I don't know, since before I started the clothing business, because I know I wouldn't have started it if without that therapy help. Therapy's um, good. But therapy's good. And, um, but I also meditate and do yoga and um, a lot of things to try to um, um, deal with um, myself, I guess. <laughs> Definitely want to get more into the meditation a little bit later on, but I want to hear a little bit more about your story. I understand when you were younger, you were a graphic designer's assistant, and then you eventually (laughs) dated that graphic designer. Oh, no. no, What a nightmare. You've been reading things. I've been reading up about you. And and then eventually clients liked your designs Uh -uh. better than his. (laughs) And so that made problems within the relationship. So I'm just wondering what you learned from that. 
Oh, goodness. Well, I think uh, in a way I found myself like my mother, a little bit dependent and very sort of codependent in the relationship because our work and our whole life was kind of merged. And I was dependent on him for getting the clients. And so even though my work, what I did learn is that I was a pretty good designer. So that was actually confirming. Um, But what I also learned was that personally, um, I needed um, that economic independence that, you know, that agency over my own life that I think my mother didn't have. It's important to learn that early on. It sounds like you did. Yeah, it was a hard lesson. Yeah, yeah. You went to Japan. How did that yeah. inspire yeah. Your, your line? Well, this boyfriend was Japanese, so, you know, you get some good things. Right. Like with my mother, you know, some things were good. Um, yeah, uh, I, um, I ended up in Japan working on some projects with this partner and um, was very taken with the kimono and the whole idea of of a simple shape like that that could be um, worn for like a thousand years. Only basically one style was the whole culture wore the same shape. And it just fascinated me, that idea of timeless design. And I'd worn a uniform in school. And that idea of just getting dressed easily um, was something that had inspired, you know, that had been in my mind. And so seeing the kimono and the simple little crop pants that they wore and the rice patties and um, just all the simplicity really impacted me. And the beauty? The beauty. Oh, what a beautiful place. Yeah. But today, look, the piece I'm wearing is a kimono style. Not, you know, not exactly a kimono, but it's a knit, but it's based on the shape of a kimono. And uh, this piece is five years old and it still feels like I want to wear it today. Now, you started your line with $350, I heard. How'd you get the courage to do that? (laughs) Well, it was, you know, I had nothing to lose, really. Um, And I had this idea, and it had been, you know, rolling around in my mind for five years since I'd been in Japan. And, uh, you know, it was just this idea. I just kept seeing these pictures of these simple clothes and sort of how they work together and all the different possibilities and and just these simple lines. Um, and the courage, as I, you know, I had friends that were artists and designers, and I was living in Tribeca at the time. And I ended up at a boutique show with a friend who was a sculptor. And you know, I just remember walking around, looking at these little booths of, you know, designers and artists and craftspeople, you know, showing clothing and jewelry and that kind of thing. And I remember thinking, I can do this. And it was like when other friends, I had friends who would go to um, Bloomingdale's and Bomb Hotelers and try to sell their clothes, stand in line all day and show them to a buyer who would just say no. And I thought, there's no way I have the confidence to do that. But if I could just put my idea together and show it, then I think, then I wouldn't have to talk so much about it. I don't. I think it was unconscious that I didn't know that I wouldn't have to talk about it. But I remember the first day that I did the boutique show that I had no prices on my clothes, that I you know, people started asking me about them. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Well, they're, these are linen and cotton, and there's, they're, they go together, you know, just explaining it and having to explain and having to figure out the prices. And, you know, um, uh, I guess, yeah, so the courage came then, the continuous courage, I think, came from just the feedback, you know, just feeling the energy of the, the buyers, and they were intrigued by what I was doing and, you know, listening back and forth that kind of thing, and then coming back to the next show and 
Then second time I sold like $40,000 of the clothes. I mean, people lined up. Several business owners have told me that sometimes having your own business can feel overwhelming. Yes, absolutely. So if you've experienced that yourself, it sounds like you have. What's your advice for those women who just feel overwhelmed at times? Yeah, Um, I think I would just say stop and take a deep breath. You know, I get overwhelmed all the time. Still today, I get overwhelmed. I can tell you yesterday, many times I find myself overwhelmed. Just, you know, for me, it's where where should I be now? What matters most? What meetings to be in? You know, all those kinds of decisions. To do this or not, yes or no, here or there. Yeah, I think to stop, just to stop for a minute. Get in touch with what matters right now. Um, Because overwhelm is just, uh, it's like a state of confusion. It's like too many things going on. And so just to kind of, to stop. (sighs) We do that, you know, we take a moment of silence before meetings. I don't know if you know that about our culture. I read that. Yeah, we've been doing that for like 12 years. So the idea is to come into a meeting and just have that pause so that we're trying to focus on what matters rather than you know, just what the distractions of the moment. How has that changed the meetings, or has it? Um, I think uh, I think it has helped us to stay focused on the bigger picture of what we're trying to do, of the more meaningful and the deeper things. Um, some of the things we're trying to do is, like change the way the fashion business works, change the environmental issues around the fashion, the clothing business is is quite a toxic business. So, you know, we're, you know, by stopping and noticing, you know, you, you notice that people are stressed out or, and maybe you can, you can help by just stopping a little bit and reorganizing what matters here. How do we refocus? Um, but things that are really important to us are things like the environment and, um, uh, you know, the, our, our culture and our supply chain and how we treat our workers. And I think when you stop, you just notice more, you know, like, wow, those sewers are working really hard, you know. Can we, can we do anything to support them? And, and uh, sometimes it's kind of confusing because you're talking about business and making money, but you're also, as you stop, you start to look at what's really important about what we're doing. Is it really that we're just trying to make a profit? And yes, we're a business, so we have to make a profit, but we're also um, trying to change the way business is done. And so that means bigger goals. And so I think that maybe by stopping and take a breath, taking a breath, we don't actually um, become a more profitable, hard-driving business. But we might also realize that we're people working together and how we treat each other matters and how we treat people in the supply chain and how we treat our planet, all those things. So I think the work has gotten deeper because of this mindfulness moment. Coming up, Eileen Fisher explains how her unconventional money outlook shapes her view of success. 
WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content, like The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across. The chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it. Check out The Quirkier Side of Life on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. One of the things you had said in the past was that you thought about taking the company public, oh, right. but decided okay. against it right. because one of the reasons is that you went and presented and there was just an <laughs> audience full of white older guys. Can you tell us a little oh, bit about God. that? Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I guess a couple of things happened at that moment. One was they felt that my growth plan wasn't aggressive enough. Um, and the other was I felt like they didn't get the clothes, that they didn't really understand kind of the essence of what I was trying to do. So the whole idea just wasn't interesting to me. Um, yeah, and I pursued different ideas about selling the company or not, and then I ended up selling 40% of the employees in an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan, which was another whole thing about money, when you were asking about money and learning about money. but. That was a little separate issue. Learning there, that's where I learned about investment. So I got a chunk of money out of the company, and I had to figure out how to invest it. So that's a different money lesson because so, I hadn't been in a position really to invest money before that. So what did you learn during that time? So I learned that, I, that investing is a very obscure world if you don't know about it. So the terms, it's, it's very, very hard to navigate. And so for me, I was just I kept trying to meet with my investment people and ask them, what, what is this? What am I investing in? And all these managers, and I, I didn't understand the language. And so I just kept making myself meet them quarterly and try and try to understand. Then I began to understand that, again, like my father said, money is energy, so that I could divest of oil. I didn't even realize I had investments in oil, in gas and oil. And then, you know, was, uh, I know that I still drive a car that uses gas, so, <laughs> so I'm in this kind of conflict. But at the same time, I want to invest in clean energy. So I just started moving money into clean tech funds and different things like that. And now I'm trying to invest in the fashion industry. And I found this fund called Alante Capital, and they're investing in trying to change to move capital in the fashion industry, in the clothing industry, into more sustainable businesses. So I'm looking, I'm thinking about this money that I'm investing in. How do I be more responsible in terms of having it achieve my goals rather than my goals are bigger than just making money, which is hard, you know? So you, of course, just making money is hard too, but making money and trying to um, make it do good. You mentioned a sense of guilt. I had heard yeah. that you <laughs> felt guilty not being around more for your kids oh, when they were younger. Oh, and so oh, yeah. yeah. wondering, what would you say to moms who are entrepreneurs, who are struggling with this? What advice would you give them? Oh, God. My favorite advice, which I wish someone would have given me when I was younger, was be where you are. So when you're with your kids, really be with your kids. Be with your family love them, be there. You know, I heard this thing of like, 
when you come home from work, go straight to your kids, spend the first 20 minutes, drop your bag, don't even change your clothes, just be there with them, you know, and just give them that full attention. So that idea, you know, and I look back and I think, um, I would go home and I would read reports and, you know, I'd be thinking about work or trying to figure out if those were the right colors or that was the right this or this. And, you know, I, I was over, I think I was over worrying and not um, able to be as present as I would have liked to be as I started meditating and doing yoga and other things later. I think that I, I would give that advice that I didn't have for myself at that time to kind of separate things out and really be present there. Do you think women are too tough on themselves, though, demanding so much at work and at home? And I do. I do. Uh, yeah, I think it's really tough. I, 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 I was at my Brooklyn store the other day, and this sweet woman came up to me just with a big tear in her eye, and she said, tell me, how did you do it? How did you do it? She said, I have a one-year-old child. I have, I have a sweet husband and a wonderful little business, but I can't do it. I can't do it. And I said, oh, wow, I don't know. I wish I had better advice, you know, besides just, I don't know, do the best you can. Keep asking for help, you know. You know, it's still, we still know that husbands don't do as much of the work, even the wonderful ones, you know. Uh, so keep asking, keep asking for help and support and, um, yeah, and, um, and don't give up on your dreams either, you know. It's hard. The balancing act is really, really hard. I mean, I, I look back now and I just, I work on forgiving myself for my regrets. And, and I have advice about that, which is that we can't, I, I was who I was at the time. I had the information that I had, and no one told me, be with your kids when you're with your kids. You know, stop reading those reports or worrying about the colors and if they're right, you know. Just be there, you know. So I didn't know that. I didn't have that advice, so I did the best I could, and I was overwhelmed a lot, a lot. And it was hard, and I don't know. I ended up getting divorced. I told that story somewhere <laughs> before. Um, and, you know, that was really hard and hard on my kids. And, and also it was good because I ended up having some space. And that's when I started doing yoga and meditating and things like that. And so it was hard, you know. But you live and learn and you forgive yourself. But anyway, um, good luck to all these young entrepreneurs. You know, you have my support. <laughs> And support, that's the other one. I said ask for things, but, you know, get good support and, and do take some time for yourself. Self-care. Yeah. Right. Do you meditate and think about your own dying? Oh, God. Would you tell us about that? <gasps> Where did you read that, that one? I had right. heard that. Yeah, yeah. We're so fragile, aren't we? Yeah. And at my age, 68, I'm very aware of that. Um, time is short, you know. So... Um, I think the good thing about meditating on your own dying is that it makes you want to live more. It makes you want to squeeze every ounce of life out of every moment. It makes you want to appreciate things. It makes you want to do the best you can and show up in the, as best you can and be brave and show up here and try to talk about what's hard, you know? <laughs> do you still hate shopping? I still hate shopping. 
I still hate shopping. Time now for your secrets. I'm Eileen Fisher, clothing designer. My money secret is to use your money wisely and consciously and use it to support your values. Be sure to check out our ebook based on the Secrets podcast. WSJ subscribers can download their copy of Resilience, how 20 ambitious women use obstacles to fuel their success for free on WSJ.com today. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening.